Hello and welcome to Canon Rinse Sound of Play 91. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. We heard a lovely piece from an uh, from a well, not upcoming. It is uh, currently released under early access, so uh, that kind of straddles the line between being available and still being upcoming. Um, but a piece from a game called Detached, which we'll hear about more in just a moment. But we are lucky enough today to have the composer of that piece with us. Uh, you might recognize his name from the soundtrack of The Witcher 3, is probably where I first became uh, familiar with the name of Mikolai Stroinsky. Hello. Hello. Hey, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. That first piece that we heard coming into the show, 
that is from a game called Detached. Now, how was it that you got involved in that project? The company, uh, Anshar Studios, uh, approached me and asked me if I would be interested in doing this. And since this is a VR game, and this is a game that takes place in, in cosmic space, which for, I think, any composer is, is invitation to compose meaningful music hopefully mm. hopefully it's going to be meaningful but it's an invitation it's a great canvas to paint on so that was an immediate an immediate yes for me and mm. as i saw how the game develops and what it what it is becoming I, I became even more excited to be a part of it so now that uh, particular piece there is it just called cosmos or is hollow logic a part of the name as well I want to make sure i'm crediting it correctly i think naming tracks it's something that I have an issue with and <laughs> I give it a name that sort of works in my opinion. And then mm. it has mm. a lot of extensions. Uh, it's a, you know, working extensions that mm, track sure. is going to go here and it's a version number, whatever, five or, or three. And so that's where the names come from. And only, uh, only before the actual soundtrack comes out, then I, then I fix all these things. So the track is named Hollow Logic. And it is divided into two versions. One version mm-hmm. plays while the player is with is inside a cosmic uh, spaceship, and then the other ver- and then this version fades out, and the other version fades in immediately as a player gets out to a cosmic space. So it's the same piece in a different color. Okay, and we'll hear the other part of the holologic duality later on in the show. This particular piece. There's a certain peacefulness to it. A certain kind of evokes that that spacey atmosphere. Glad to hear it. Let's uh, let's get a little bit of of your own personal background. Uh, for those of the listeners who aren't familiar with uh, you and your work, and even for those who are from your website, it says that you were born in Kenya. Yes. Uh, although you were raised in Poland, how long did you spend in Africa? Five years. Uh, hmm. I moved from, I was born in Kenya, Nairobi, and I left it when I was two years old. And my entire family moved to Nigeria, to Kano, where actually hmm. my sister was born. Only my older brother was born in, in Warsaw. He feels very ununique because of that. <laughs> uh, when I was five, we moved back to Poland, to Warsaw. So were you there long enough for the kind of African influence to creep into any of the music that you create? Uh, do you think that it is a part of the musical tapestry that you weave now? I have to say no. I'm uh, <laughs> You're pretty young at the time. Yeah, sure. <laughs> five, five year old. I wasn't into mm. I wasn't into multi rhythms back then, you know. <laughs> uh, but I am now, and I know this is where they come from, mm. from the in, more intellectual point of view rather than where I was physically born. This interest comes from, but not from me being in Africa for mm. five years when I was a toddler. Right. You know, Africa was in my house uh, in terms of stories told by my parents and my older brother. Mm-hmm. However, it wasn't from from the musical point of view. You moved up to Poland after that, uh, where I presume you spent most of your life. You're in L.A. now, if I remember that correctly. I would say most of my life, but I've been in America for so long that I I think it's been split half and half because I moved Mm. to America in 2001 and I was 21 back then. So if I do the math, I think by now I've been more in the United States than in Poland. Oh, yeah, yeah. Time flies. (laughs) It certainly does. You were in Poland. You presumably did your schooling there. You graduated from a Polish, uh, would it be a musical academy or was it kind of a larger academy of the arts? No, it was a musical academy. Right. So that is the, uh, the Carol, and you might have to help me with pronunciation. Try of, it. All right. <laughs> oh boy. Szymanowski? Szymanowski. Very close. Szymanowski. Okay. <laughs> 
I, I will take that a, a solid B range of pronunciation there. B plus, totally, yeah. <laughs> Oh, where you graduated summa cum laude. Uh, sorry, that was uh, magna cum laude from, uh, from that academy. Awesome. And then a summa cum laude from Berkeley College of Music. Yeah. Did you find that you made a lot of your professional connections in school? Or did these kind of emerge separately once you um, kind of got out there into the musical industry? It was the latter. Although Berkeley did help me get my first job in LA, mm -hmm. recommending me. During my Berkeley years, frankly speaking, I wasn't extremely social. I was more focused on studying and practicing piano rather than partying. I did make some meaningful friendships over there, uh, people that I'm friends with even like today. But mm -hmm. I don't rely on them in terms of uh, job seeking. On the other hand, uh, every, every second person that I meet in L.A. whose work relates to music comes from Berkeley. So uh, go figure. Mm, okay. <laughs> so you, you moved out to L.A. and that's kind of where you spent the uh, majority or entirety even of the professional career out composing for uh, film and television and um, video games as well? Yes. Yes. I started, I started off as a ghostwriter for, for television. And then after uh, after a couple of years, I started doing my own stuff, my own movies and projects and video games. Well, and then of course you've worked quite a bit with CD uh, with CD Project, the developer of the Witcher series, among some other games, mm -hmm. uh, and they are a Polish developer. Was that uh, just because you were able to speak the language and that made you easier to work with, or you know, was it just coincidence that uh, a, a Polish fluent studio ended up pulling you in as well? No, not really. Uh, my Polish background didn't have much to do with the, mm. with the ease of collaboration or their choice of working with me. What helped was, if you're referring to me being Polish, what helped was that I had been fascinated with Witcher stories since the mid-90s, mm. therefore was additionally motivated to fight for the, for, the, for the project and felt enormous amounts of pleasure scoring it. I have to say, feeling the Slavic music definitely helped as well. But I approached the Witcher project from the U.S. and fought for it along with other U.S.-based composers. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, I speak Polish fluently, but I don't think it helped me. CD, CD Projekt is known for hiring people from all over the world, and they're a significant percentage of the company's employees. That's cool. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about The Witcher later on, as well as some of the other projects that you've been involved in. Uh, but for now, I'd love to hear a another piece of video game music here. We asked you to supply some of the, uh, not only of your own compositions, but also some of the compositions that have inspired you over the years. And you are bringing us one from another uh, composer who crossed over between uh, film and video games as well. Uh, would you like to introduce the second track here? This is a track from Medal of Honor composed by Michael Giacchino. I will say he's my favorite orchestral composer. After the drop from Medal of Honor, I love this track. It's so beautiful. It has a certain kind of wartime intensity. Uh, I became familiar with him after he composed a piece for Cloverfield, I believe. But oh, yeah. since then, he's worked on Lost. He's done a few of the Pixar movies. He's been all over the place. Yeah, very uh, Very diverse and uh, a wide array of uh, compositional styles that he seems to be fluent in. Um, and so, you know, he has worked in uh, video games, not quite as much as film, um, but he's done uh, compositions for some of the uh, wartime games. He's done some for some of the uh, Pixar video game adaptations uh, for even um, some interesting standalone projects like Black, the 
kind of score chasing first person shooter from Criterion. And so it's always a always a treat to get him on the show. Uh, what is it about this track in particular that stands out to you? It's very lyrical. It's very beautiful. But what I like about the entire album is that, I mean, he was very young. He wasn't even 30, I think, when he composed this, this, this soundtrack. And it's, it's a very romantic music. I, I like the fact that a lot of music that scores the Second World War is is very romanticizing and i like it mm-hmm. i like that he kept doing this is again it's a it's a beautiful canvas to paint on and he did it wonderfully yeah kind of reflecting the kind of different way that we held war in the kind of the public consciousness yeah. at that time things have uh, have shifted yeah. quite a bit in the years following but yeah anyways let's let this piece speak for itself this is after the drop from medal of honor frontline
All right, and we're coming back. We want to hear another piece of your music, but before we do that, I'm uh, curious about you got your start, it looks like, in television, uh, doing, uh, as you said, kind of ghostwriting for some TV shows. Were you given the opportunity to work with higher budgets or with, with wider kind of arrangements of instrumentalists after you got out of school? And was this any kind of adjustment that had to be made? Not really, actually. Um, hmm. TV work, uh, the being required me to work very fast using primarily computer sounds. Hmm. Uh, with live musicians from time to time, of course. You know, at the same time, Berkeley offered some opportunities to work with smaller ensembles. And as far as adjusting, yes, it was a huge leap uh, coming from school to the real world. And Berkeley is a, is a beautiful bubble. It's, it's like a fairy tale during which you learn a lot. They do really best they can to uh, expose you to professional world. But it, I don't think it can ever be because when you're in, in real world, if you screw up something, there are different consequences than getting a, a, a C or D, right? So mm, it's a right. Different, different level of, of motivation. But I feel that Berkeley people prepared me quite well to start working in a professional environment. Mm, certainly. And however, like I'm saying, each day spent at work in terms of the information that I gathered would equal like a month spent at Berkeley. That's right. Yeah, it's a lot of that figuring things out as we go and... You know, we can study as much as we want beforehand, but when we're really kind of put under that kind of pressure, that's when things really start picking up. Yes. For television, do they end up requiring, you said you had to work under very kind of tight schedules and stuff. Do they, uh, do you end up composing new pieces for every week's show potentially, or do they end up reusing a lot of the same music? How does that typically work? Most of it, it was composing to like a library of a show that the editors would, would apply to pictures. And every now and then there was a scene, a more difficult scene to be scored writing to picture, which couldn't be solved with library music. And then did you get involved in any work surrounding film or short films or anything like that? No, not at the beginning. My first feature came to me in 2007. Then the next one was, I think a year later, was a documentary feature as well. No shorts. I would have to look into my MDB. I don't remember. <laughs> Certainly, with all these uh, projects behind you. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, let's listen to a, another project, a more recent project. This is an, uh, a still upcoming game. Um, if you want to introduce this track called Loading Up. Sure. Yeah, it's, uh, it comes from my uh, most recent game that's coming to you, I think, in, in about a week or two. Mm. Uh, but it's called Sniper Ghost Warrior. It's an FPS, first-person shooter, with a great story, with great visuals. It's fun. It's gonna, you know, it was great to compose for as well. And yeah, this track is, is, is an in-game track that, that plays while you walk and while you fight. So now sniper games are typically a lot more about uh, about stealthful approaches, yes. staying out of sight, a little bit more kind of, I want to say the, the intensity is still high, but it's a little bit more kind of low energy and more tactical exactly. than the Call of Duties and stuff. And this one isn't, the other one is. Yeah, this one is a little bit more dynamic, but I'm... I'm happy. I'm happy because I'm happy with this track because it, it is in 5-4 <laughs> and it gives mm. me so much joy. <laughs> <laughs> I have a little bit of musical history, but um, in, in what ways is 5-4 uh, composition more difficult than composing for the more uh, typical 4-4? You just answered it. 4-4 is typical. If you have something counting in, in five, that's different uh, rhythmic skeleton to work mm. with. It, it opens different uh, different opportunities. And I, 
you know, this kind of music is very often done in four, in four, four. So mm-hmm. I thought to myself, I'm going to make it in five, four and let's see if it works. And I like it. I like it. I like how it flows. Kind of contributes to a different tone, a different mood, keeps the audience a little bit more on their toes. I know that a lot of progressive rock bands that, that use uh, different time signatures say that yes. people come to their concerts and, you know, they don't know how to dance to these other time signatures yes. because it's, it's so hard it's to a, count. In, <laughs> yeah. I, I love progressive rock just for this mm. reason that you mentioned. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. <laughs> I love the subject. Uh, it's, 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 it's like, it's doing something to your brain. I'm sure. Mm, yeah. I'm not talking about my piece. I would never say it about my own music, but, <laughs> But, you know, progressive rock, five, five, four, seven, four, mixed meters in general, that's that's mm. great stuff. Yeah, certainly. And then uh, changing time signatures in the middle of a piece can be used to kind of leverage the audience's attention and kind of yes. affect the emotional and kind of intellectual exactly. flow of the piece. Yes. Oh, I like how you, you should be talking about it. I love what you're <laughs> uh, Well, you know, let's have the music talk for itself because I think it's a it's an evocative piece, and I think that uh, it's different from what we've heard. This is loading up from Sniper Ghost Warrior Three. So we've heard a couple of your video game pieces so far, and um, I'm kind of curious as to how you got involved in video games coming from television. Uh, As far as I can tell, it it sounds like you got your foot in the door anyways by composing a trailer for Dark Souls 2. Um, Trailers are, you know, non-interactive. They're not the uh, kind of game itself and so i'd imagine it the compositional requirements of uh, of a trailer are more familiar since you had a background in television uh, rather than the 
uh, very different task of composing for an interactive medium. Uh, did you did this ease the transition at all? You know what? I didn't. I didn't need the transition because I've always hmm. loved video games and I've always loved music. So I just couldn't wait <laughs> to combine the two. I will call the Dark Souls two trailer a little a little gate for me to get the gig. Hmm. That's that's what it that, that that's what it resulted in. Because other than tackling the video game subject, the music was still made a movie trailer, um, and I was very excited to do it especially that it was a collaboration with Blur Studios, which are uh, very respected in, in the industry. And Tim mm -hmm. Miller, who is the head of the studio, is a pure aesthetic genius. This kind of approach really bounces off your work, and uh, you want to do the best work possible. The way it led me to get the video game uh, video game work uh, was that people from Crunching Koalas, a small, small independent studio, heard it. And they contacted me and asked me if I if I would score their game. Obviously, I said yes. And mm -hmm. other game games have followed after that. Dark Souls Two uh, was probably a very lucky get of all things. I mean, it was uh, Dark Souls One is very highly regarded, but it was a kind of lower budget, very experimental game at the time. One that people didn't even really start appreciating until it had been out there for a year or two. Uh, and then Dark Souls 2 was uh, was given a higher budget, was kind of produced off of the cult appeal of the first Dark Souls. And so being someone who uh, who was the Dark Souls fan before number two came out, I was I was kind of surprised to see something so striking and something that obviously had a lot more is money and you should say quite corporate faith behind it than the first one uh, did. You know, it would, the first one was very much a labor of love by a group of very talented artists. But uh, this time around, you know, there was a, an apparent um, kind of step up in quality of a lot of the visual stuff. And uh, I think this trailer was a good kind of first indication of that. And so uh, for that reason, I think the Dark Souls 2 trailer was one to really stick in people's minds. So it was it was a, a very uh, good, uh, probably a very visible place for you to land your first video game adjacent gig. Yes, it was a great one. And I have to say that I wasn't aware of, of what Dark Souls was. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even aware of how big this was supposed to be. So, And that's great because had I known, I would probably faint and just go back home and <laughs> say thank you very much. Well, it's been uh, it's been a series that has been rising in popularity with the, each entry, and so you know at the time it probably wasn't as big as it is now. But uh, uh, yeah, I kind of got on the train early on that one. Uh, so, does composing for video games now the uh, the actual interactive portions of the games offer any kind of different challenges due to the interactivity of games than uh, television or film or anything like that? Definitely yes. Uh, it's mm. it's more more challenges and more freedom. I feel with music for movies, you are helping to tell the story. Mm -hmm. It is forever glued to an assigned scene. Of course, once it's accepted, but this is not the case in terms of uh, game music, where it has to uh, loop. And mm -hmm. when it's looping, it can be boring and it can be bothering. It it has to be pleasant and functioning after a player had heard it for many 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 times the music uh, has to be ready for uh, also for the choices players about to make mm, yeah exactly uh, all the time and so there are just some reasons i describe it that it has to be composed of cells it's like mm -hmm. you don't you don't build a car but you build a transformer with a with a movable parts 
always ready for a change, but smooth at the same time and, and emotional at the same time. So it is mm. a challenge, yes. That's always the thing that I think when listening to video game music is just how would I create a piece of music that is ready to underscore any possible series of actions that the player could engage in without feeling terribly out of place. It's intimidating to even think about from they, the outside. It takes a lot of head scratching on my head. <laughs> but, you know, hopefully it works. Let's listen to another piece from that Medal of Honor Frontline soundtrack. You're bringing us one called Klebberg. Yes, again, by Michael Giacchino. Again, very romantic, suspicious, mm, with a unique color, I feel. I love the chord changes. I hope you'll enjoy it. Yeah, this one has a lot of a uh, feeling of dread. It has use of clarinets and wind instruments in a ways in ways that I kind of associate more with uh, with John Williams and his Indiana Jones scores. Uh, there's certainly a lot going on in this one.
Okay, so the you did a couple of the kind of lower profile video game pieces at the beginning while you were kind of uh, working way into the video game industry. But I think that the one that uh, most people are going to be familiar with from, you know, relatively early on in your time in video games is The Vanishing of Ethan Carter. Uh, that is a strange, very, very unusual, mysterious game coming from a studio that uh, was, I'm sure, composed of people who had uh, worked on, on various projects before, but them as a collective had not been previously known, at least from my knowledge. But in that particular game, it's a very strong sense of mystery, unease, but it, it takes its time to fully play its hand and to really kind of show off the mystery of, uh, of the game at, the, at its core. Uh, how did you write for a game with such a perpetually shifting mood and tone? I haven't played that game yet, so mm. I haven't really, and, and I haven't really noticed the sh shifting mood so much. Okay. Uh, but, you know, I mean, kind of when I think about it, when I think about the music that I composed for it, then I will say, yes, it does a mm -hmm. little bit of that. And to make it work, you have to establish the common musical denominator first and mm. then band certain tracks left or right. Happy and Ethan Carter would be this won't be won't sound the same happy as happy in in a Disney movie. Mm, certainly, you have to evoke emotions within certain frames available for this particular projects mm. by being uh, consistent with with color and disciplined about it. Only then it's possible. I feel. So we talked a lot about the challenges of composing for video games, and you mentioned that you wanted to create almost like a, a musical palette for you to paint with at, in the tracks you would compose for it by kind of defining what happy is for Ethan Carter or what um, you know mysterious is. Uh, do you typically start off a large project like this? by coming up with a series of ground rules of boundaries for you to compose in in the future? Yes, it's very mm. important because these days there are so many sounds available and the creative mm. process is more about limiting yourself rather than looking what else can I use, what else is available, because everything is available, that's the truth. Mm. Limitations mm. in art are great uh, mm -hmm. because it, it pushes you to be creative. Every every project I start, I, I figure out what colors I'm going to use, what what is the pace of the game, what is the pace of a movie or TV series. So what do you like the developers to tell you? Uh, how, how involved are you in the narrative that's being crafted? Or do you just like to see some screenshots and kind of get paint the uh, picture in your own mind? Like how much information do you like about the game before you feel comfortable defining those boundaries for yourself? For some reason, screenshots works best for me. Obviously, movie as well. If I get, mm -hmm. a, if I get a quick time movie, that works too. They make my imagination work. And, and there are colors in the screenshots, so they, it all translates. In case of uh, Ethan Carter, I spent a long time with Adrian Kmielasz, listening to his story, the story of the game. He's a great storyteller, and it was like an injection of inspiration for me. After everything he told me, I, I absolutely knew what I have to do, and I... And I, I think I only had throughout the whole game like one or two revisions total. So shifting the subject a little bit, I'm a bit curious about uh, your own personal history. Uh, did you play video games growing up? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Since I was like six, I think, I, I, I played on Spectrum mm -hmm. computer and then Commodore. And then early 90s, I, you know, I, 
I got a PC computer. And what types of games did you like to play when you were younger? I don't think I, I liked any particular style. The same goes for movies. I, I think there is only good games and bad games, and there is only mm. good movies <laughs> and bad movies. You know, I was a little kid, so I played I played <laughs> everything I could you know put my hands on and, and understood. Uh, so let's hear another piece of one of uh, one of yours. This next one is called Perfect Aim. This also comes from Sniper Ghost Warrior 3. It's about creeping in. It's about uh, walking slowly towards your target. I mean, it was kind of similar goal that I had, come to think of it, that I had while I was composing music for the, the Ethan Carter, actually, because mm. what I wanted to achieve is to scare a player, but let him think, let him solve the mystery. And here in this case, in, in case of the track, that uh, that you're about to play uh, perfect aim my goal was to also you know provide a music to to have something interesting hopefully happening musically mm -hmm. but at the same time uh, not distract player from focusing on the aim and this track starts off with a few i don't know if i'd call them sci-fi noises but a lot of the percussion is very almost kind of reminds me of like goldeneye or some of those mid-era james bond type of musical touches um, but it, it does kind of erupt into a larger, uh, more full orchestrated piece around halfway through. And I really like that turn in the music. Uh, but anyways, let's listen to Perfect Aim from Sniper Ghost Warrior 3.
we talked a little bit about the vanishing of Ethan Carter. Is that uh, kind of what you used for your this most relevant uh, CV a type of uh, entry when you were auditioning for The Witcher 3? Or did you tend to oh, no. uh, to draw from your uh television work no neither uh i was actually i was composing ethan carter in parallel to witcher 3 i was oh, doing those, okay. two, those two projects at the same time hmm. i was asked to 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 do a demo actually so nothing hmm. that existed before well and so of course the witcher 3 the team brought in the band percival who also has some deep ties to the witcher mythology uh, did you work with them personally or did they kind of do their own thing in their own uh own own style Percival was recorded in Warsaw while I was here in Los Angeles, so I didn't I didn't meet them until actually last May in Krakow. Mm. Their tracks were recorded in Warsaw and they were sent to me to play with. So not only once made specially for the uh, for the video game, but also everything pre-existing. So all the tracks from all their albums uh, thus mm. far. So Marcin and I, Marcin Przybyłowicz and I, had uh, had plenty of cool toys to to play with. It was a great fun. Uh, each of the sounds was like an important spice that really helped make the soundtrack unique. With more than one composer on the project, and uh, one of the major contributors being a band with a uh, you know very clearly defined um, style and history of their own, did you feel like you all kind of collaborated towards creating one unifying sound, or did you try to create tracks that were more kind of diverse and individual from one another's pieces? Once this musical common denominator was set, and it was set pretty definitely, both of us did what we felt was appropriate and used as much freedom as we could within those boundaries. So the Witcher 3 world, of course, is an enormous space, just geographically speaking. Um, did you really leverage the different um, cultures of the cities and the different geography of the um, places that you would visit in the uh, town, you, you mentioned that you liked looking at the screenshots from uh, Ethan Carter to kind of define the uh, kind of musical soundscape of what that land you know felt like in in your own mind. Um, but The Witcher Three is is so enormous and so diverse a place to be. Uh, you know, it must have been a an even greater challenge to try to define those boundaries for yourself. Yes, yes, it was an enormous enormous world to to score. And uh, between Marcin Przybyłowicz and myself, we, we wrote, I don't know, like six hours of music or mm. you know, even more. And each of, uh, each of the parts of this world, being Skellig Island, No Man's Land and Novigrad, had its own musical color uh, assigned to it. You know, not all the instruments were suitable for all the parts of the Witcher world. Now I have to remind me, were you involved in composing for the Blood and Wine DLC as well? Yes, yes. And that one has a very different tone from everything else that was in The Witcher. As diverse as that was already, this one was uh, a real out-of-nowhere <laughs> pitch, being more kind of based on uh, like southern France and uh, different realms of of, store, of uh, fairy tales. And so how did this change things up? Well, we've decided to add this southern France, Greek, maybe a little Greek element mm -hmm. to it. Accordion played a, a, a huge part in, in the soundtrack. Percival sounds were still there, but not as prominent as far as I mm -hmm. remember. And it was a little bit more fairy tale, a little bit different than the original one. But I hope that listeners can still make the connection to the original Witcher music. 
Percival's influence obviously brought a lot of uh, intensity, a lot of that raw animal fury, the unforgiving nature of the mountains and the winds and the snows and everything. Whereas, uh, you know, the blood and wine was was set in an area that is more kind of uh, civilized, even if that is only a mask for a lot of the horrible things that would happen in that land. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot more uh, keeping a straight face and, you know, pledging their allegiance to the monarchy and pretending that nothing is wrong. So, you know, certainly it's uh, must lean a lot heavier on those um, types of, of nobility sounds. Let's listen to a, another piece from another composer. This is, I'm trying to remember now, is this a California located composer? I know that uh, he he's worked San, with. He's a, he he hmm. he lives around San Francisco. Okay, cool. Because he works with Double Fine a lot. He previously worked with uh, Lucas Lucas Arts was the video game division, and so I assumed he must be somewhere around the Northern California yeah. region. Yes. Uh, but yeah, do you want to talk us through March in the Clouds by Peter McConnell? Peter McConnell, first of all, is a wonderful, 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 wonderful person. Each time <laughs> I I have an opportunity to spoke to speak with him, it's it's such a joy. He's so honest and and nice mm. and. And just wonderful, like his music, actually. I mean, yeah, certainly. The soundtrack from for Broken Age is is one of my favorites, and that's why I decided to share it with the audience. Why this one? I don't know. Maybe it's because it's it it has a uh, it has some happiness to it. It has a lot of whimsy. It's got uh, those those kind of bouncy plucked strings, and then the uh, very um, also very bouncy violin piece, kind of layered on top of it. And now Peter McConnell, all of his soundtracks, at least the ones that I've heard, are just completely different from the last. You know, it, it's really hard to get a <laughs> to get a feel of his style. You know, there are little signatures here and there, but he seems so adaptable to just about anything you can throw at him. Uh, so let's uh, listen to a little bit of that Broken Age music. This is March in the Clouds by Peter McConnell. So you were brought back by the Witcher team to work on the still upcoming Gwent game. Is that uh, is that the case? Are you reusing music that you had used for the Gwent games in The Witcher Three, oh. or is this all original composition? It's completely different than than than, hmm. yeah, than the Gwent game in in The Witcher musically. As far as I remember, the original Gwent in The Witcher game was accompanied by purely Percival's music uh, that. Hmm. that sounded like it's coming from a tavern 
Whereas here, we are painting with more serious uh, set of Witcher paints. However, in the case of multiplayer, it's all, you know, it's all about showing the other player who is the man here. and let mm. <laughs> So there is a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, I would say, in the music as well. I mean, this is, this is a card game with very serious music. So that's, that's fun, I think. Uh, there is a sense of humor in it. And so this time you're kind of leaning more heavily into the fantasy of the card game itself rather than the um, kind of pub game nature? Yeah, 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 totally. Leaning more towards the world of Witcher rather than the, mm. the pub and the card game, yes. Yeah, because as a standalone experience, this is uh, kind of the entirety of of the game. It's not so much a distraction as it was in The Witcher 3 as it is the you know, sole focus of this upcoming project. Yes, exactly. Is there anything about that that you want to tell audiences to listen out for? Any little musical touches that you're particularly proud of? I, yeah, sure. Why not? Thanks for asking. I am very proud of uh, the color that we came up with for the deck of monsters. Hmm. I think it's it's fun. It's uh, it's a, like a combination of heavy metal meets meets <laughs> The Witcher music. So... I'm very curious how 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 will uh, people respond to it. <laughs> well, that sounds really great. Like a little bit more metal in my fantasy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so let's listen to another piece that uh, you've composed here. This is the other half of the Hollow Logic that we heard at the at the top of the show. Uh, this one is called Spaceship. Now, how is this piece similar and different from what we've heard already? The idea behind these tracks is to is to listen to them really in the game and cross between the spaceship and the and the cosmic space, mm-hmm. because uh, once they change into into each other without starting from the beginning. It was a lot of work to achieve that because the harmony is not very static. Kind of back in the old days, uh, crossfading between tracks and dropping instruments in and out was a lot easier when things were based on midis. Uh, you know, Grant Kirkhope's work in Banjo-Kazooie and Donkey Kong 64 is very famous for dropping out, you know, just one instrument at a time, whether you uh, kind of walk between different areas. Uh, whereas this one feels like a, a much more kind of heavy shift of the entire tone of the piece, um, but but still kind of subtle in the ways that the instrumentation changes. But it, they do have a very different sound and um, identity to them. Normally, what you would do is, is like you said, in, in case like this, you would just add one stem of instruments to it, like, mm. you know, or subtract drums or, or add strings, do something like that. That's a very common thing to do. But I've, I've decided to change the color of music more drastically and therefore uh, was twice as much work. But uh, yeah, it's mm. just a little bit different than usual. So. Oh, well, let's listen to Holologic Spaceship from Detached. Thank you. 
so Detached, that's a upcoming final release, but it is available for people to play on early access on Steam. That is a, uh, if I understand this correctly, only playable in various virtual reality helmets, including the, the Vive, the Oculus, the OSVR. Did this affect at all the choices that you made in the composition, or is whether they play it on a screen or in a headset completely irrelevant to that process? It has to sound well on headphones, that's for sure. Mm. Right. Yeah. You're not so much as worried about uh, as how it plays on the speakers as it is how it plays, you know, beaming directly into your ears in this case. As far as speakers, hopefully it should play well for the sake of just pure listening to music mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. Did the fact that, you know, 99% of the audience in this case is going to be listening to it through headphones uh, allow you or give you any kind of freedom to weave some more intricate touches that people might miss otherwise into the piece? There, are, There is some intricate panning that I did. Hmm. Let's listen to a, another very recent piece, one from last year, actually. This comes from a small and unusual project, uh, kind of like Broken Age, actually. <laughs> uh, this is a piece called, uh, this is a piece from Unravel, rather. Do you want to take us through the red thread? Sure. I mean, I had to just pick one, but I could easily just just, just choose any track from, from this album. It's beautifully recorded, and you know, it's a wonderful background music, too. I mean, background music might not sound like a best compliment for something, but it's a beautiful music that uh, people can listen to also, while focusing on other things at the mm-hmm. same time. that's I think that's the nature of, of, of video game music, that it, it plays well in the background. And that's, it, it, is, it is composed that way. It, 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 mm-hmm. it is composed to accompany your actions. You spoke earlier about how important it is to get a sense of, of place in your mind when you're composing for video games. And Unravel, of anything else, is trying to communicate a strong sense of place of location of uh you know you're really kind of down in the in the dirt and down in the intricate details of each of these uh places from uh you know according to the story this old woman's memories Uh, so let's listen to the red thread from unravel
Alright, we have one track left for us to play, but before we do that, we'd like to remind everyone that you can venture over to our forum at canonrinse.com slash forum. If you'd like to request songs for upcoming shows or just react to the shows that have already been there, we'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, some of the pieces that we've played here today. And um, you can also get in touch with us on Twitter at canonrinse, or you can find us on Facebook as well. Again, under our Canon Rinse name being our main podcast. <laughs> if you search Sound of Play, that might not come up with anything, but uh, we are Canon Rinse on all of our social media properties. Uh, you can request your favorite tracks. We will continue to play a selection of those on each regular Sound of Play anyways. We had a special show today with a guest, but uh, typically we like to include a selection of, of your own picks from home. I would like to thank Mikolai and uh, would like to ask if there is anything coming up that you would like to draw our listeners' attention to, or just any social media presence that you would like to uh, direct people to, uh, anything that you would like some eyes and ears on in the future. Yeah, I mean, check out the music for The Sniper, check out the music for Detached. Mm -hmm. uh, those are my two games coming coming in uh, shortly. Obviously, uh, you will hear a lot of my music in the Gwent video game as well. And I am on social media. You can You can obviously find me on Facebook. You can listen to a lot of my music on my SoundCloud account, and I am somewhat active on Twitter. I should be more active. I'm not <laughs> active, but if something's important <laughs> happening in my life, then, then mm. professionally, then then I'll post it there as well. The detached soundtrack that you mentioned before, this is absolutely worth seeking out. Uh, it is something that people might otherwise miss because it's a VR only game and not everyone has the helmets but even if you cannot play the game the soundtrack is still totally worth seeking out and so i give that a recommendation even if the uh even if vr is currently out of your price point but we have one last track from sniper ghost warrior 3 before we do that we'd just like to say thank you so much for for talking with us today it's been a really fascinating chat Oh, it's been a great pleasure for me too. Thank you very much, Ryan. I really appreciate it. And the last track the audience will listen to is uh, Curious Vision. That's a Georgian song. Actually, the soundtrack mm. for Sniper is divided into two parts. One is the in-game music and the other one is the location music. So it's a, it's a music that uh, comes from all different radios, comes from cars. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's Georgian. This one has a really nice tune. I really like the uh, energy of it as well, especially after it picks up a bit. It always catches me by surprise in video games when I hear actual human voices for some reason. You know, I'm, I'm so used to the more kind of electronic bleeps and bloops and stuff uh, that it is very, uh, very ear catching. And now who did uh, who provided the vocals for this particular track? Aurelia Schechner is the name of the vocalist. And the mm. lyrics were written by my uh, close friend and the poet, Tamin Deli, who is Georgian. It certainly has that sound to it. Well, let's listen to some Curious Vision from Sniper Ghost Warrior 3. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs> Thank you.